This morning, I'll be reading from the NRSV, from John chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Now, there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after growing old? Can one enter a second time into a mother's womb and be born? And Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? And Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one can ascend it, no one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did send the Son into the world to condemn did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light, and do not come to the light, so that their deeds may, may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. May God add his blessing to his word. Thanks be to God. I think that's my cue. Is that right? Right.
Thank you very much, Steve, for your reading, for a very beautiful prayer, Jody, um, and for your music today, Andrew. I appreciate your leadership very much. Um, I'm not. <laughs> I was not going to do what say what I'm going to say, but um, uh, it never. Ha I don't think you ever get over the fact that when you get into a piece of scripture and you find it interesting, you end up with three sermons, and then you have to make sense of it um, in a coherent way as one sermon. So, um, I share your pain. Those of you who are in uh, preaching class and have to do this uh, and and be judged on it. Um, I offer it for your judgment, but more for your edification. And so let's pray. God, we are so grateful that you meet with us, that you are here with us. And I pray that beyond uh, my words and our thoughts that we would actually encounter you. Teach us, we pray, by your spirit. Amen. Well, this past summer, it was just at the end of lockdown, and I managed to get away for a few days um, uh, with my husband, Peter, and my son, David. And um, on the first night, we stood on the porch of our holiday house and peered into the darkness across a field and beyond that to the sea. And it was very dark. But just then, I saw a streak of light. And then I saw another streak of light. Fireflies, I exclaimed. I really exclaimed. Uh, they doubted. No, you're seeing things, they said. No, no, it's fireflies. Really, I said as I excitedly put my shoes on. Fireflies. You see, I hadn't seen fireflies since my teenage years when my friends and I found ourselves walking past this vacant lot in the middle of the city, but with thousands of these things lighting up in the long grass. And my son, David, who is now 12, has never, had never until that moment seen fireflies. And I even Googled where we might find some in the valley, but never really had any success. And so he came outside with me that night, and we stood there amongst them for a while, some flashing on and off in the dark, others streaking magically through the air. And it was wonderful. It was an encounter with light in the darkness. It was an encounter of wonder in the weariness of promise in the pandemic. And so it is that we turn today to John chapter 3, an exceptionally familiar piece of scripture for us. And I turn to this passage many times when I'm considering the contrast of light and dark, death and life, new birth and deeper understanding. After all, the great Christmas passage in John 1 tells us that Jesus is the light, the true light that was coming into the world. Jesus is light in the darkness. Jesus is wonder in the weariness, promise in pandemic. So why then in this chapter is Nicodemus coming to Jesus in the dark? Jesus was all about light. That's what we've been told so far in this gospel. So why creep around in secret? Well, Thomas Aquinas followed Chrysostom, and he's sure that Nicodemus' visit in the night is symbolic of his vague or obscure understanding of the truth of who Jesus is. Or it may simply have been what you do when you don't want anyone to see you. You come at night in the darkness. Uh, darkness in the dark. In darkness can sometimes, though, be a place of growth though a growth that is maybe not ready for the light, came across this poem just this morning and, and couldn't help but add it in by Denise Levertov. It's called I Mask. In this dark I rest, 
unready for the light which dawns day after day, eager to be shared. Black silk, shelter me. I need more of the night before I open my eyes and heart to illumination. I must still grow in the dark like a root, not ready, not ready at all. Are you ready to grow in the dark? Are you happy to hunker down and just wait for lighter and brighter days? Well, Nicodemus was clearly wondering who this Jesus was, but he had a lot to risk. Remember, he was a Pharisee after all, and they don't exactly have a warm, fuzzy relationship with Jesus, do they? I mean, Jesus, meek and mild, he saved his harshest words for the Pharisees, calling them whitewashed tombs and their father, the devil. He revealed their religion as one of very darkness whose detailed and involved rules prevented people from connecting with God, which the exact opposite was supposed to be their job. They were the ones who were supposed to be leading people to faith, but they ended up standing in their way with the rules and the regulations that obscured God's love for them. So our friend Nicodemus was a Pharisee, but this Pharisee saw something in Jesus and wanted to take the opportunity to ask him some questions. I think we often think of Nicodemus as coming with an open mind, you know, a willingness to be challenged. He was the enlightened Pharisee. But maybe, just maybe, he thought he might win Jesus over. You're one of us, Jesus. I can see you doing miracles and saying things that only come from God. And, well, we are God's special ones after all. So come on over and join us. Do what we want you to do. In chapter 2 of John, though, we read that Jesus knows what is in people's hearts. And as we'll see, he doesn't really allow Nicodemus to run with that thought. But Nicodemus brought a lot with him to this conversation before Jesus even says a word. He comes, first of all, with his professionalism. He was a religious professional, a leader in the know. He couldn't be seen to be asking questions of Jesus. He already had the parchments, the robes, the reputation. He had it sorted. He was respectful and powerful, respectable and powerful. He was special to God. With his professionalism, he also had his knowledge of what constitutes good theology and good ministry practice. You could say this was his canon Read these people, follow these traditions. They've been well thought through for generations, surely. Embracing exploration beyond our comfort zone is actually something, though, that many of us struggle with. And I don't know how you're struggling with that in your studies this year. Embracing exploration beyond our comfort zone is not easy. In fact, in her book called Twilight of Democracy, Anne Applebaum explores how at least a third of people are authoritarian in style. What that means is that many of us are simply suspicious of people with ideas that are different from our own. We resist difference and complexity. And the Pharisees liked that kind of control over their religious world. Who gets in? Who gets out? And how carefully controlled and monitored it all is. So Nicodemus would have been taking a huge risk to call any of this into question. He would risk being expelled from the very synagogue whose religious life he represented. Nicodemus also came to Jesus then with his practices. The Pharisees had worked out what detailed activities pleased God. They weren't simple, but complex. Nevertheless, it was clear to them what you had to do to be on the inroad with the Almighty. 
And Jesus was turning all of this on its head. Jesus was undermining Nicodemus's professional standing, his knowledge, his religious practices. I mean, you'd almost expect in this passage when it's setting up to, for Jesus to say, well done, Nicodemus, you've pleased me with your zeal and your commitment and that iron fence you've put up to keep the riffraff out. Instead, in this intimate scene, Jesus confronts Nicodemus, Nicodemus with his need of a savior, his own personal need, who cuts through all of his sophistication, his knowledge, his synagogue leadership structure, and the detailed religious practices. Nicodemus, you can't really know God without being born again. Huh? What's this? Can I return to my mother's womb? Come on, Nicodemus, what I'm saying is you need to let go of your professionalism, your rules, your expectations of who I am. Let go of the veneer, all the things that you think you bring to me and instead be born from above. Again, what? Jesus is telling him that he needs to die to himself. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and people looked up and could live, so must Jesus be lifted up so we can live forever. This turns your system on its head, Nicodemus. You, a teacher of Israel, you with all your flashy degrees, you don't know this? Nicodemus has to start over surrender his power, his position, and become a newborn baby. All the Pharisaic practices that had kept people from knowing God had to die. And people had to learn, starting with Nicodemus himself, that God is for them. God wants to know them. God is with them. Come into the light, Nicodemus. Show what your life really is all about. We don't know what Nicodemus did immediately after that, but we meet him twice again in the Gospel of John. Once he's defending Jesus from the sidelines, and then later on he participates in Jesus' burial. From the dark, he has stepped fully into the light. He has come to know that the only way he can impress God is by realizing he can't impress God. God loves him already. And his mission of helping people to know God is far less complicated than he had imagined. Those of us whose mission it is to help people know God may find ourselves in a similar position to Nicodemus in the darkness of this present moment. We come to Jesus with a lot of baggage, if we come at all. So my first challenge this morning or this afternoon now is to come to Jesus in the light or come in the dark, but come. He's waiting to have a conversation with you, a very personal conversation at this point in the term, you've probably gained an awful lot. An awful lot of knowledge, an awful lot of learning, a lot of equipping. At least we hope you have. If we've been doing our job, you should feel like you've gained a lot, even if at the moment you're kind of in the middle of the confusion of that. We hope you have gained a lot. But you know what? That gain from theological education comes with a risk. And from years down that line, I offer a caveat to watch for as you continue to grow and to learn. Because those of us who serve as professional Christians bring a lot of similar baggage as Nicodemus with our professionalism and our sophistication. I was reading this from Paul Metzger, um, a fellow I've worked with in the past before, and he's written, uh, written on this passage. And I really like what he said, so I'm going to quote him. He writes this. He says, although it's a good thing to develop thick skin, 
And trust me, you'll need that in ministry. Um, It's bad when it leads to a hard heart. Years of religion can do that, you know. He says, I know. I teach this stuff for a living. And when you make your living off religion like I do, you can easily move from being a Christ follower who happens to have a religious profession to being a religious professional who happens to be a Christ follower. You start by objectifying and sterilizing spirituality, turning its I-thou questioning of you into third-person description intended for someone else and rhetorical questions that no one need answer. Instead of seeing yourself as being read by the Bible, you stand over your Bible as judge and jury. Instead of being mastered by divinity daily in the trenches, gutters, and dark alleys of life, you put Master of Divinity, MDiv, and Pilot High and Deep, PhD degrees, on off-white walls in sterile offices. I face this danger daily in my heart. We're talking about degrees, all right. Third degree burns that destroy our relational nerve endings, making it impossible for us to feel God's touch. We need new flesh, a new heart, a new birth. As you study, come to Jesus regularly, even in the darkness, and be reminded of your need Be reminded that he offers newness, freshness, a time to sit with him and to be known by him. And this may mean letting go of our canon of understanding. That is letting go of the structure of voices that over the years we have come to believe are the most powerful, the most important, whose teachings we think are the right ones, best ones, and everyone else is out. We may need to be born again to be read by the scriptures in our understanding and our knowledge? Have we built up systems of rules and practices which were good in intention but have become barriers to God for people? And this is something I think all of us who are theologians and teachers of theology, and I would say pastors and churches struggle with, or at least ought to struggle with. Are we willing to surrender all we think we know in order to be born again in our hearts and minds, to die to self and all that we've learned and gained, in order to be alive in Christ and to recapture the wonder of a very simple mission? To help people know God. That's it. To help people know God. And to be born again may mean that we need to be children. That's not very sophisticated, is it? being a child, learning again how to be disciples before we are leaders, how to be a child who's dependent on God for everything, how to be a child who trusts implicitly with a winsome playfulness that draws others in with its laughter, how to be a child who is simply kind and responsive to the pain of others, hugging when it hurts and putting bandages on wounds and taking them by the hand to a grown-up who can make it better the child whose story is constantly being written, whether we are old in human years or not. As always, Jesus turns everything on its head. The powerful are brought low and the systems are unraveled. The weak are raised up and a servant king takes the throne. Come then into the dark with your questions and wrestlings in the darkest dark of the night. The pulpit in the morning is not the place to rehearse such wrestling. Come in the dark. Be ready, though, not to impress Jesus, but find instead a personal Christ 
and a cosmic Christ, one who shuns our programs and plans and structures because to be born, Jesus has to die. And we and Jesus also have to die as individuals, but also as churches. In these days, we come to Jesus in the dark collectively. Like Nicodemus, our great opportunity as churches in these days is to release control. I've suggested uh, earlier on in this year that uh, leading in these times is like walking in a fog. So we focus on what we can calculate, keep the offerings up, keep the worship service going, keep the building ready. What would it be like to be born again, to surrender our control of everything, to let our programs, our structures, our buildings, even the priority of producing slick worship service to all be put to the question, are we helping people to know God or are we helping people to jump through the complex religious hoops to become more like us. In these days, we need to learn afresh to follow Jesus when we can't see, when we can't calculate, when we can't control. And the churches that are thriving even now are those who know exactly what their mission is, and they're driven by that mission to do whatever is needed to fulfill that mission in a constantly changing context. They're pressing out to the margins of society rather than hunkering down and waiting for it all to pass. If there ever was a moment for Christians to make an impact, surely it's now. We were mentioning Dr. Chris Wright in his Hayward lectures back in October, and he offered this great image that I love of the church when the spirit is present. Because when the spirit is present, he said, he creates a centrifugal force. Now picture that, a centrifugal force. When the spirit is present, it's like when you turn the corner fast in a car, you know how you're pressed up against the door, or, or maybe more accurately on a roller coaster, and you're pressed in so hard, and the person next to you is also pressing, you think you might just fly out. The pressure is so great. And he says that when the spirit is present, he creates the centrifugal force that pushes us out to the margins. This is where we belong, helping people wherever we go to know God. It's that simple. And it's that difficult. For many churches, this will be like starting over. Some, perhaps, many will close. Church, as traditionally measured, may appear to decline. But the great opportunity of the moment is to become more authentically the people of God, on the mission of God, with winsomeness, intelligence, yes, leadership, yes, in a fragmented, fearful, spiritually and mentally stressed out context. Our job is not to protect God or to argue people into submission, but to represent a God who already wants to be reconciled to people and to work for that reconciliation in churches and in communities too. I think at the moment there is a great tenderness and a great openness. I don't know if you encounter it in the people that you meet. I do. Where I am, there is a great interest in God amongst non-religious people. But you know, I struggled to think of very many churches where I could bring them. Many churches have been baked in a culture that has long since passed, though kept alive in the church by its sell-by date, well, well past its sell-by date. So for us, perhaps it's time to listen, to try new things, to be resilient when they fail, to bend our resources to a majority world that is growing in faith at a time when we might rather shore up our own resources to be flexible, to take the risk of potentially walking away from everything we know about how things should be 
how we should conduct our business, how we should organize and run things, and to allow Jesus to remake us. Some of our best examples of how this happens comes, come from the global church, as we heard from Louise Hannum also earlier in the term. You know, I think almost daily of our brothers and sisters at the Arab Baptist Theological Seminary and um, how when crisis came, they just, they didn't need a committee meeting. <laughs> that wasn't what they did. When the crisis came, they didn't call uh, a finance meeting or a group together. In a crisis, they just simply knew what they had to do. They showed the love of Christ. In the darkness of this present moment, we can forget that we can come to Jesus, to come to him, to be listened to, but also to be challenged. Because when we come to him, we have to be ready that he might transform our entire perspective because he doesn't gather us there in the light out of the darkness. Rather, he gives us his light to carry with us as we scatter into the world. Some of you might have seen on Facebook that I had a dream last week I dreamt I was walking. It's a stunning dream. It's one of those ones that is etched in your mind. You know you'll never forget. And I was walking through a neighborhood in the dark. It could have been any neighborhood. But everywhere around me were fireflies lighting up the night. Fireflies on the pavement. They were on the bushes and the grass. They were flying through the air. It was wondrous and magical. And when I awoke, the very clear thought of my mind was this. As we are scattered from what we have known as church and into the darkness of these days, each of us carries the light of Christ to our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our homes, our backyards. It was wonderful, magical, God's gift of grace. You see, we shine like never before. And so I think we can release ourselves from this fancy footwork to have to make an impressive production all the time right now. Our focus is to feed the fireflies so that we all have what we need to burn brightly. And let's remember the light is God's light, not our own. We don't make it. He does as God has scattered us for mission. So this season, as we welcome Christ, the light of the world, May we be willing to come into the light and to be remade, to be born again like a child, to carry the light into the darkness, shunning sophistication, professionalism, and a structure that plans Jesus right out of the picture. Let him generate light in your soul and fly. Fly through the darkness with the playful delight and the faith of fireflies. Let's pray. God, these challenges are great, but your challenge is always great. Yet your mercy and your love and your grace for us are more. Lord, would you remind each of us today that beyond all the things that we can do to impress others or to impress you, that you already love us. You already love us as much as you ever will. Help us to grow into that love as babies coming to you afresh and new and build our expectations in the way that they ought to be shaped. And use the knowledge that we're gaining 
to grow in you, yes. To know you better, yes. But also to help others come to know you. Lord, work in us what is pleasing in your sight. And I pray your blessing on each of these leaders in whatever form they're leading, whatever form they're serving, that they would know in these days what it is to burn brightly as a firefly in the night. For the sake of Christ, we pray. Amen.